From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we stay in the land to cover another Browns kick to the junk, the guards closing out the regular season, and the return of Cavs basketball. On the road, we look at NFL results for week four and the final week for Major League Baseball. Off the field, we head to one of our favorite places, the 90s. <laughs> I am joined tonight by two of the best ever, my co-hosts, Phil Denko and Chuck Rombaldo. Fellas, are we feeling more MC Hammer can't touch this or boys to men end of the road tonight? <laughs> In, in regards to our Browns or just in general? Just um, in general. Just in general. I'm going to choose to focus on some of the other teams here in town. So uh, I'm a little uh, MC Hammer. You can't touch this. I'm just judging it by the songs. I like both those yeah, songs. Yeah, they're great songs. So yeah. I actually like End of the Road better. But Yeah, yeah I, I like both those songs. <laughs> but I think if I could find those Hammer pants, they look real comfortable at 45. So maybe I'm going to lean that yeah. way. Yeah, that'd be a good Sunday uh, tire. Yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> good Good house pants. MC Hammer totally misusing those. Yep. Well, he might be using them for that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be hilarious if he's lounging in his house in his hammer pants. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. All right, well, let's get started. We're going to stay at home and let's get the bad news out of the way first. We'll start with skid marks, the brown and orange road to the Super Bowl, our weekly look at the Cleveland Browns this week with a 1990s flavor. Browns dropped a winnable game to the Falcons today, fall to two and two, tied for first in the AFC North with a solid two-game lead on the Steelers and nobody else. Today was a strange game that had some bad, some good, and some okay-ish stuff. Browns, I think, just wasted pretty easy opportunities and weren't good enough to make up for it. So let's look back at today's game. We'll start with a scale of one to five, one being Bill Belichick, five being Bud Carson both Browns coaches in the nineties. How was Kevin Stefanski today? Ooh, well, Belichick got funny. I know he did. All right. Belichick was a good coach for the Browns. Yeah. 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 Belichick. Bud good. Bud Carson. Carson bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go to Bud Carson then. Yeah. On that scale, uh, uh, Stefanski's a Bud Carson today for sure. Yeah. I would probably put him at about a three and a half, maybe a four. W what do you think was the most indefensible, call that the coaching staff made in today's game you know i don't know that there was one one call the play people are going to look at that early in the game that that fourth and goal and and we went for it and came up empty but i would actually say the play calling later in the first half when we found ourselves like first and goal or second from the from the one I mean, we have easily the best two running backs and probably the best running offensive line they lost yards from their holding because it's a pass play. There's they were moving backwards and they settled for three. They did score on that time, but that was a, that was a touchdown waiting to happen. So I think the play calling on that goal line uh, approach bothered me more, more than anything. So I don't know that it was any one thing that bothered me from his play calling today. Yeah. It was an awful lot, but I guess I'll, I'll go the other way and say what was indefensible was that not one corner blitz or safety blitz i want to focus a little bit more on the defense today uh, than the offense i think it's that end of the first half you've gotten the ball all the way down to the one you run chubb you get stopped 
you line up in the exact same formation on second down. And I'm just like, awesome. They're just running the same play again. There's no way they're stopping him twice. And that stupid pass play and the penalty, those are the times that Stefanski drives me nuts. That's when I think you're just getting a little bit too cute. I did not mind at all that they went for it on fourth down on that first drive no, of the game. Right. I don't either. have any problem with that at all. But that play calling at the end of the first half, and I think throughout the second half, the offense stalled. It just didn't look like they could get anything done. I'm not sure if that's a play calling thing or just the offense um, not performing well. But let's move on to the defense scale of one to five. One being Michael Dean Perry, five being Pio Sangapulatelli. <laughs> where would you where would you rate the Browns defense today? Oh God, I I, I think that's offensive to to Sangapulatelli. I want it beyond that. Their their run defense specifically was. If that's a one to five, it's a it's a Tom Burke seven for sure today. They, they were, <laughs> it was like peewee football on the one drive. They called 10 straight running plays and couldn't stop the team from scoring a touchdown. It was terrible. I'm with Phil here. I think it's an insult to Pio, but it's cool to hear his name. So yeah, I'm going right? to say it's a five. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was happening on that drive, Chucky, where they just they suddenly couldn't stop the run? at all so you're missing your defensive ends right and, and that's part of it and arguably your your best most consistent linebackers out for the year right but it's still I, I know i don't know because anytime you're running back number one wears number 84 i go hey did they run out of numbers are you playing a bad cyo i love talking cyo football are you playing a bad cyo team that didn't have jerseys and then you have a guy who's undrafted who ran all over you and then you have a guy who's a career defensive back run for like 20 yards everything went wrong I, I i don't know i was um i was beyond frustrated watching what happened and again if i talk about the fact that the defense is predicated on those two defensive ends uh getting pressure on a quarterback but that that doesn't make sense in this scenario right like i i don't know it looked soft everything about the defense looked soft all day today except maybe the second quarter the strange thing about the defense today was that for a lot of that game, they had them under control. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the third quarter, they, they put in their fourth string running back, and all of a sudden we can't stop anybody. I'm not sure I would have gone Tom Burke on this one. I, I think they would have stayed on the scale. They would have been a five. Saga Pulatelli had some pretty lean years for the Browns, if you don't remember. <laughs> How about the offense? Scale of one to five, one being Webster Slaughter, five being Derek Alexander. I didn't mind Derek Alexander. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably be at a at a four because they did some stuff right. They really, obviously, they ran the ball really well. And then why did we stop running the ball? It feels like we're having the same conversation we did last year. Uh, I know. So I'm, at, I'm, at a, I'm at a four. I'm, I'm close to Derek Alexander. Man, really bringing out some good names tonight. <laughs> it's easier than you think to find Browns players in the 90s because you got to remember they're only there from like 90 to 94. Yeah. And then they disappeared until 99 and you're not going to that team phil how about you where would you put the offense on the slaughter to alexander scale i'm going to put it at a three kind of in the middle the offense left a ton of points on the field today uh, they, they moved that ball down the field most of their possessions they they out possessed atlanta by like 10 minutes in in this game yeah. and it, it so i'm going to give them a three like i think the offense right up until inside the five yard line did everything they were supposed to do most of the time there was a weird that third quarter was weird where both teams went three and out like to start in yeah. their first two possessions. But other than that, the Browns offense moved the ball and they just couldn't get any points on the board. So I'll put them in the middle. Yeah. They, they had three possessions inside Atlanta's four and came over with 10. 
10 points. points. Yeah. Can't happen. No. Yeah. And, and, and the one, the one where they scored zero points is the one that frustrated me the least. Like that, that was okay. Isn't that fourth, weird? <laughs> fourth and goal yeah. and it's first quarter, first possession. Yeah. Go for it. Why not? Coming away with field goals when you're on the one with our offenses, that's not good. Not good. I guess maybe I'd have an issue with the play call on fourth down on that first drive. Yeah. Like why pass? But I don't know, they'd been stopping the run, and he'd actually been throwing the ball well, and they were moving the ball in that first drive more passing than they were running, I think. So the, offense, the play call made sense, I think, I, a yeah, little bit. That, what's weird to me is that offense is so good at fourth and one on quarterback sneaks anywhere else in the field. So, yeah. so good that they'll do it on the other team, on, on your own 30. Like, who cares where it's fourth and yeah. one? So what's the difference at the goal line? The, the team knows you're running it up the gut on fourth and one on the 30, and you still get yeah. it. Get that push at the goal line and score that f***ing touchdown. I mean, what the hell? Frustrating day for the offense, and I think Chucky's right. We're we're talking about this the way we did last year, and this is the first time this season that the team has had plays called like that, where we're all like, wait a minute, just run the ball. Don't get cute inside the five. Run the damn ball. And that that was a problem last year, and it was a problem again today. Those missed opportunities – even more than the defense is what cost the Browns the game today. I, I think that was it. Yeah. Nothing good to talk about. No MVBs for this week. Uh, we are putting this dumb loss, which just does feel dumb, putting this one behind us. Let's go ahead and look at the next four games because I thought at this point, preseason, the Browns would be 4 0. And I still think I'm right. A, no. a once in 25 <laughs> years. <laughs> nope. No, I. I understand what the record says, but I identify with the Browns being 4-0 right now <laughs> because those losses didn't make a damn bit of sense to me. So the next four games, they're home next week against the Chargers. Joey Bosa's hurt. There's some other guys hurt on that defense. Herbert may still be banged up, although he had pretty good numbers today. That still looks like a team that's pretty shaky. They did not beat the Texans by much today. Uh, the next week, they're home against the Patriots. And some guy named Zappi may be the quarterback for the Patriots because Hoyer went down with a concussion in today's game against the Packers. After that, they go to Baltimore, truly terrifying. And then they're home to play Cincinnati, which is scary, but I don't know. Is that a beatable team? So in the preseason, all three of us had the Browns going one and three in this stretch of four games. But as you look at the way this is shaking out now, is two and two or three and one maybe a little bit more probable now? I don't think so. Your best bets here are the, are the Chargers and the Patriots, mainly because the Chargers are coming cross country and it's an early game and they're a little bit banged up, but but they looked okay today. I assume maybe you get Clowney back. Hopefully you get Garrett back. Again, the more I watch this team, the more that defense is predicated on those two guys getting pressure on, on the quarterback. And today we expected guys who aren't at that level to do the same thing and nothing was changed. They had 10 days to prepare for this game. That's what makes me upset a little bit more. If they if they even Steven it, that's the best case scenario here. I think you're seeing Jacoby Brissett as well. Maybe we expected a little too much the first couple of weeks. You know, like uh, not that he's playing bad. He's he's not, but just something is off every game. Whether it's defensively today, cool water. We have one catch. Njoku looked like he <laughs> yeah. was go go for 300 yards, and he was nowhere to be found. So I don't see how they come out of these four games with a winning record. Best case is is two and two. What do you feel better about? Two and two or one and three? 
Well, you I had feel to better bet. about two and two, man. No, I'm saying if you had to bet, if you had to bet, on, not not oh, not. Oh, if I was if I was if I was one in three, if I would, if I had to bet on it, be one in three. If I had to put money on this, I would say one in three. And my the reason for that is there's only one of those four teams with a subpar quarterback trotting out there. We haven't played a good quarterback yet, and we're two and two. Yeah. We lost to Joe Flacco and Marcus Mariota, and we're about to see three of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in these next four games. Boy, when you say it like that, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> We've lost so, to Mariota and Flacco. Yeah. Ouch. Mariota. Yeah. He's terrible. Seven, That's he why seven completions. No, that's just impossible. I mean, we, we lost the two quarterbacks that their defensive strategy should have been put everyone in the box and force them to throw yeah. the ball. And we would right. have won by three touchdowns and they couldn't yeah. figure that out. So, you, you know, Herbert, I know they're banged up. Maybe they get a game there. Maybe. And then best case, like Chuck said, they go two and two, but I doubt it. I, I can't see them winning two of these next four games and watch they'll lose to Zappy. You know, they'll beat they'll beat <laughs> Lamar Jackson and they'll lose to Zappy. I don't know. <laughs> they'll lose to this cartoon character. This is ridiculous. Oh boy. Well, until Phil started talking, I felt okay about two oh, and sorry. two. <laughs> Not oh and four starts to sound a lot better. Yeah, right. I don't know. We'll see. I guess the argument for three and one is you get the Chargers and the Patriots at home. They're both banged up. Maybe we're a little bit healthier for those games. So we get those two and then we steal a game against the Bengals who, who have not looked great so far this year. I mean, unless the Ravens go up big because they're giving up big leads. That's the, yeah. only, way, that's the yeah. only way the Browns yeah. can win that. The Ravens get out by like three touchdowns. The Browns yeah. have a so chance, maybe. The Bengals game's at home as well. The Bengals game's Monday yeah. night in, in Cleveland, right? So, yeah, I don't know. All right, fine. Yeah, they're probably going to be one and three. We were probably right. Let's move on to our Guardians week cap, recapping the last week for the Cleveland Guardians. We're going to do a little bit of a shortened version today so we can rest up for the playoffs. Uh, we are going to have a special wild card episode that'll come out this coming Friday. All in all, this is frankly just getting a little bit boring. Guards took two of three from Tampa Bay. <laughs> then they took two of three from the Royals. They finished the week 90 and 69. They're like 113 games up on the division. <laughs> in an otherwise ho-hum week, we got the news that Brian Shaw was designated for assignment. What's your one word hot take? on that move why i guess why chuck would you like me to explain my one word answer <laughs> <laughs> no nah. you had your chance it was just a weird weird time there were like one week left in the season right like why now yeah. you know it's hyphenated i guess why now if i say that <laughs> the why is because of because of money like he hit one incentive oh. but he was seven appearances away from getting like 4.25 million oh you know, like Tito made sure he got, I think he got like two plus for getting the 60th appearance or something like that. But my one word is thanks. <laughs> thanks. It's good. Thanks That's for good. the content. Thanks for being a mentor to the young pitching staff. Thanks for making me pull out my hair some nights. But other than that, hey, thanks. Uh, mine was too soon. Hyphenated. <laughs> because I felt like this is the perfect week to have him. Yeah. This is this week where you're going to be like resting the rest of your staff for the wild card round. This is when you need Brian Shaw to pitch four innings, three days in a row, <laughs> you know, uh, and he's like the only guy that could do that. So we'll see. He is, I suspect, going to be around in some sort of coaching capacity for the rest of this season if they don't have a spot for him anymore. But Brian Shaw, 
That's something. All right. So next week, guards have three who gives a shit games against the Royals. <laughs> Way more importantly is that when they go to the wild card next re- weekend, they get the sixth ranked playoff team. It will be either the Rays or the Mariners. Right now, the Mariners are up two games on the Rays in the fifth spot. The Mariners have four games left against the Tigers in Seattle. The Rays have three against the Red Sox in Boston. Who do you think the guards will be getting in that wild card round? So I think the Mariners, the Rays, they're going to play the Rays. Jack, Phil, anything to add? <laughs> so much. Do you uh, need more explanation? No, I, I think it's Tampa Bay. I, I think uh, I think the Rays are coming back. They just left town. They're coming back end of next week. And I don't know. I, I, I Do they both have four games left or just the Mariners? Mariners just the Mariners. Four. Tampa Bay just have th- just has three. So that is weird, but uh, yeah, I think we it is. Playing, we end up playing the Rays. Feels like it. I mean, the Tigers are just rotten, and the Mariners have been playing really well since they beat us up. I don't know. We'll see. But most likely, it, it feels like it's going to be the Rays because just because the matchup favors the Mariners so much. But that'll be it for our week cap. Let's go on to some more good stuff because believe it or not, the Cleveland Cavaliers are in camp. The regular season starts October nineteenth. So let's dive into day drinking, our preseason sip of wine and gold, previewing the upcoming season for the Cavs. Tell me what you think was the best move for the Cavs in the offseason. First one, mixing in the all-white uniforms for this coming season. Next one, adding the first ever Make AC Giggle amateur stand-up promotional night. Next one, new concession item. Barbecue pierogi nachos, cheese and potato pierogies topped with queso, barbecue sauce, salsa, sour cream, onion straws, jalapenos, shredded cheddar, pulled barbecue pork, a cheeseburger, french fries, half a rack of ribs, a milkshake, three pickles, (laughs) and a side of Tums. Uh, Last one, trading for Donovan Mitchell. Well, until you threw the last one in there, it was really up for grabs. Um, Obviously, it's trading for Donovan Mitchell. What do you say the season's like? two and a half weeks away. I, it can't get here soon enough. Yep. You know, move from, from guardians postseason into Cavs regular season. And we can almost forget that we have to watch football on Sundays. It's not a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah. Chuck, what do you think? Best move of the off season? God, I love nachos. And you said they're going to put a pierogi on top of that. Amongst Gosh, other things. <laughs> I'm going to have to change, change my underwear if I go to a Cavs game this year, but it's still Donovan Mitchell really comes down to Donovan Mitchell and the make AC giggle was uh, made up. I made that one up. I just wish it were a thing because uh, I think that'd be funny. But speaking of our all-time favorite announcer for the Cavs, what Austin Carr catchphrase are you most looking forward to hearing this season? First one, love is in the air. Next one, get that weak stuff out of here. Next one, sliding into their DMs. That's a new one I made up for any time Donovan, Donovan Mitchell makes a big <laughs> shot. Uh, and the last one, ha, 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 ha. Well, I hope it's get that weak stuff out of here because uh, they were very solid defensively last year, and I'd like that to carry over to this year. So I hope I hear that very often. Yeah, I think with the uh, with the seven footers down low, that would be that would be the one I would lean toward as well, just to to dominate these teams through the rest of the season, piss them off because we're playing hard D and just swatting their shots into the third row. A close second for me though is Love is in the air because that means Kevin Love is playing well and we we may need that a little bit uh, as we get through the season as well. Love is in the air is mine. A year makes a big difference. Last season, we had absolutely no excitement talking about the Cavs or Austin Carr. 
And and both of those things have done a complete 180 for this year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Cavs. And we will get into a more serious discussion previewing the season next week on Day Drinking. For now, we're going to take our first break. We're going to come back, talk some more NFL and some more baseball. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We'll head out on the road, and let's start in the NFL, our week four storylines. And unfortunately, the biggest story this week in the NFL is probably the worst. Tua Tonga-Viola left Thursday night's game with a concussion after one of the scarier moments I think we've seen in recent years in an NFL game. That followed a questionable return after a big hit last Sunday against the Bills. NFLPA announced this week that they were firing the independent neurological observer from that Dolphins-Bills game for making a series of mistakes, although nobody explains what the mistakes are, and I would love to hear what the doctor's perspective is on what went down there. Nonetheless, it was a scary thing to see, and it is a reminder that this is a very, very dangerous game these guys play and we all watch. And what I'm wondering is, after something like that, do you wonder if there is a point has it already happened could it come in the future when people start tuning out football just because they think it's gotten too violent and they don't want to see these guys get hurt i think some people may have already done that or at least down that path but i guess depending on how you look at this unfortunately i'll use that word unfortunately the largest percentage of sports viewers in our country aren't going to turn away from this it's gladiatorial right like they're looking at this like it's the gladiators and 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 tv knows it too i mean they replayed that over and over and over again it was like you know joe theisman's leg snapping and a half they played that over and over and over again and it's it's awful when you think of it as, as a person right and but unfortunately i'll use the word again i think the the vast majority of football fans will continue to tune in because They're not necessarily looking for those kind of injuries, but it's not going to scare them away. They know what they're looking at. They want to see hard hits. They want to see people wobble when they get up like a boxer that is out on his feet. They may not admit it, but I have a feeling that's kind of where everyone's at. I would say that I don't think anybody's looking to see what happened to Tua. I mean, that's, I would hope that's crazy. I I agree that it's uh, people like the game because it's tough and it's physical and it's violent. And and the big hits come and they want to see those hits. Don't think that anybody's really looking to see a guy seize on the field. You know what I mean? Chuck, what do you think? I don't think it makes people stop watching. Most of what you guys covered is, is, is right on. Like the game continues to be faster and these guys are bigger and stronger. So these injuries are going to be more gruesome and more impactful. The problem I have, like I accept that at any point, any game I'm watching, somebody could be massively injured. What I don't like is what you're talking about. I don't like watching anyone get hurt. I don't want to watch it. Once was enough to see the replay over and over when, when his, you know, like his fingers are, it's like a fencing motion or something like that. I don't need to see that. This, this is a league that does not show you fights when they happen, does not show you when people run on the field, like a fan runs on. They don't show you any of that shit. They go to the crowd or show something else, but they are more than happy. And maybe it's like Amazon. It's their first run at this. Like 
okay, once was enough, twice, maybe too many, but I don't need to see it eight times. It, it was, it turns my stomach to see anybody get injured, you know, like, and this isn't like NASCAR where people, there are people who watch NASCAR to see crashes. That happens. There are people who watch UFC to see people really get hurt. That That's never been my thing. So I don't think it ever affects the viewership for football. I, I just think they have, they have to do a better job framing it. If you are a producer of this show or, or the game that, okay, once is enough. Let's get as much information as we can and keep relaying it to this guy's condition. And they did a good job with that after it happened. But I didn't need to continue to see it that night, too, later on SportsCenter, like two in the morning. They kept showing it over and over. I'm not into that. I hope nobody's into that, because if you are, that's there's something really wrong with you. If you like or you're into watching people get hurt. I don't get it. I feel like they you're exactly right. Like the producers is who I had. A, I had a problem with that and the way they they presented that during that game. They put Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, who got all the all the negative comments online about it. It's not their choice. It put those announcers, yeah. two very yeah. good and well-seasoned announcers, into the precarious position to continue to comment on it because they showed that the quarter kid posturing, that fencing posturing, like you were saying, Chuck, over and over and over again, which is so scary to see. Yes, it happens with concussions, but your first thought is like, that spinal cord injury type stuff. I blame the production of that, of that. Yeah. Like they didn't have to do that. There's 150 cameras. They, they could have showed anything else during that time. They could have cut to the guys in the booth to just talk, <laughs> you know, yeah. they would have been fine. I think they know what they're doing. Yeah. Which they chose not to address right. during halftime. Like the, nobody yeah. really mentioned during halftime, but all yeah, right. It was frustrating. Yeah. The argument for showing it may be that it is the reality of this game that we consume and is the most popular thing to watch on television in America every single year. Let's not gloss over the risks that these guys put themselves through. If you want to be a fan, you're going to see stuff like this. And I, I, I don't agree with that, but I think that's the other side of it. I'm with Chuck. I would rather see fights and people running on the field. That sounds <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Oh, hell yeah. 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 Hell yeah. Be great. <laughs> sounds awesome. I don't want to see somebody get hurt. I, I just think we're somewhat desensitized to what happens in these games because we've seen it so many times. If in your day-to-day -day life, somebody blew out a knee at the office, the way that one of these guys will blow out a knee during a game, we're just like, oh, oh, well, you know, he's gone. Or tears an Achilles or something like that. Like somebody's walking into your office, and they tear their Achilles. That's the most horrible thing that's happened at your office that entire year. But this game, it's just kind of, we're all so used to that kind of stuff. I think they have tried to eliminate the violence a lot you can't ever get it completely out but whatever is happening and whatever happens on the field it is it is not tuning away very many eyeballs i don't think it's a still wildly wildly popular thing to consume and will continue to be so all, all signs are that tua is okay he's still in the concussion protocol but was discharged that night he flew home with the team i would suspect he's not playing next week uh, hopefully we don't have to see anything like this again. Let's move on to some more positive things and, and, and some of the fun stuff from this weekend on the field and some of the not so fun stuff. The one in three, say you, say me, Lions lost a shootout to the Seahawks. What do you think, Chuck? That offense is fun to watch. <laughs> I'll, I'll give them that, you know, even with their starting running back out, they they're fun to watch. And I know last week you said they got to find a way to win. Maybe they need to learn how to win. I don't know if they're they're going to do it this year. They might be facing the same kind of situation defensively that the Browns are. Only we have far more fucking talent than the Lions do. Uh, so 
one and three, I thought, yeah, they'd be 500. But also, I mean, the Patriots are one and three too, right? So in the year the Patriots start one and three, one year they won the Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Lions are winning in the Super Bowl, but they're fun to watch. I'll leave it at that this week. Yeah, their offense, their offense can put up points, which is exciting. So I think they'll, they'll get some wins. They may surprise some folks a couple games this season and maybe end up right with that eight win range like we talked about and and maybe they're like the browns of a couple years ago where we had we thought we had all the pieces in place on offense and our defense was shit right so we we'd score but we couldn't stop anyone so they might be another offseason way of kind of completing that team and and being more competitive all right one undefeated team left in the nfl the philadelphia eagles four and oh after surviving a game against the jags today that's weird (laughs) philadelphia's next eight games at arizona Then they get the Cowboys and Steelers at home. Then they get the Texans on the road, Commanders at home. Then they go to Indianapolis. Then they have the Packers at home and the Titans at home. That's their next eight. Can the Eagles be 10-0, 11-0, 12-0? They might be able to be 10-0. The NFL is so hard to predict in those things, but the teams you just rattled off, you know, Cooper Rush is leading that Cowboys team. They're scoring some points with him, but – and I, I think Dak's supposed to be back maybe in the next couple of weeks yeah, too. So I think Dak will be back for their game. Yeah. So that, that could be a tough one if Dak is back or Cooper Rush has gained a greater command of that offense. But then you go on the streak of, I don't know, you get past that. It, maybe the next tough game is the, the Titans. I don't know. Yeah. The, the Packers. The Packers. Yeah. Yeah. Packers. So I could, they might be at 10 and 0, sitting at 10 and 0. The Packers who barely beat the Patriots with Zappy. Starting a quarterback today. <laughs> Chuck, what do you think? Are the Eagles going to get to 12 and 0? I don't think so. I, I think they're a really good football team um, and maybe the most complete team we've seen in four games in the NFL so far. But no, it's just. This league's too weird, man. Like they're gonna they're gonna lose to a team they they shouldn't lose to. And even though that's man, I wish the the Browns were looking at those teams you just said. For the, like that's that's a pretty nice schedule. Um, but no, I think they'll they'll probably lose one or two, uh, barring any any injuries to to their skill players. But they're again another team that's fun to watch that hasn't had they haven't had a primetime game yet, right? It seems like the f-ing Broncos have every primetime yeah. game. Oh God, yeah, no, I think they'll lose one or two. Yeah, I think on paper there's a legitimate argument for like eleven and zero, but the league is far too weird, far too much stuff can happen, and so I do, I don't think they get there. But it is a nice schedule. I mean, they they after twelve games they might have ten wins without really breaking a sweat, uh, and that's that's pretty amazing for that team. All right, AFC North, looking ahead to next week, the two and two Ravens play the two and two Bengals. Who wins? Is do you know where it's at? In Cincinnati. Oh, I'm, I'm just I'm guessing. I'm a Bengal believer, but again, the Bengals have ten days to prepare. I still think the Ravens. They got to right. They get out to these big leads. They're going to hold one. Maybe this is the week. So the Ravens win. I'm not sure where it's being played. <laughs> we can we can find that out. <laughs> Uh, actually we're already behind schedule actually it doesn't affect my answer one way or the other where they're playing I, I i think the ravens win this i think what lamar jackson is off to another mvp like season and maybe he just takes it upon himself to be like all right i don't give a shit how much we're up by i'm gonna just continue to keep my my foot on the gas pedal here and and until they tell me the game is over the ravens are the better of the two teams so i i feel like they're coming out of this with a win yeah i'm with the ravens too wherever they play next one Steelers. Yee. 
one and three. They're playing in Buffalo next week. Oh. Who's winning that one, Chuck? The Bills handily. I can't. I'm sure there's probably a line out right now. It's got to be ten plus. So the Bills easily. Hopefully, damn it. I was in Pittsburgh today. I don't like that the Steelers stuff rubs off on me, but yes, the Bills are winning that game. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, even if they trade midweek for Mitch Trubisky back and start <laughs> him, they still win that game. That would be big news all <laughs> over football for sure. Yeah, I, I think the Bills win, and I think it's just a matter of of by how much. That'll wrap up our look back at week four and ahead to week five for the NFL. Let's look at the regular season in Major League Baseball starting to wind down, as we've been talking about for a couple of weeks. Aaron Judge is still making his run at passing Roger Maris for the most home runs ever in an American League season. He's stuck at 61. If he doesn't get 62 and he doesn't win the Triple Crown, how big a disappointment is this season? Huge disappointment. <laughs> I mean, come on. It was all oh. right there for him. And they're just, and then they're, you know, they're going to just get swept in the playoffs in the, in the second round. It's going to be, it's going to be one of those seasons that the New York media just rips them apart. No, I think um, one, I think he, he will get 62. He will not win the triple crown and they're going to coast into the playoffs and sit for a, a weekend, I guess, and wait for hopefully the guardians. God, it wouldn't be the hugest disappointment for ESPN if he does not get any of this stuff. Like, good grief. And you know me, I don't mind the Yankees, but I am sick. Almost as sick as when they were doing the uh, WNBA playoffs leading with that. I assume either that or like his Roger Maris's kids, like they keep carting him out to games because he's going to, yeah. which I, I don't really understand. And like, okay, cool. Like, what are you going to do? Put a camera on them and they clap because somebody beat yeah. your, your father's record. So uh, a huge disappointment if he doesn't do it, mostly for national media, specifically ESPN. Either 62 or the Triple Crown? I think he'll get the 62. But He's not the Triple it. Crown. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, I think he gets his 62, the Triple Crown, just because the batting average thing looks like it might not happen for him. Let's look at end-of-the-season awards for Major League Baseball, starting in the American League. Aaron Judge is winning the AL MVP. Uh, in Vegas, his odds are negative 10,000 wow. to win. <laughs> there are other people they list but like like Shohei Otani's amazing yeah. he's not winning it he's not winning it Aaron Judge is going to win that so let's look at the AL Cy Young race which is a little bit closer uh, Justin Verlander 17 and 4 1.80 ERA might be on steroids God, he's yeah. 39 yeah. and he has the best ERA of his career I got in an argument at a bar here last night with somebody about this who swears like no he had Tommy John surgery like two years ago that that explains it ah anyway might be on steroids Dylan Cease 14 and 8 2.20 ERA the White Sox pitcher terrible mustache terrible team terrible guy uh, is there an <laughs> argument <Wow>. for Emmanuel <laughs> Classe? 41 saves, 1.38 ERA, 75 Ks in 71 innings. Chuck, who do you think's getting the AL Cy Young? Verlander. Is there an argument for Classe? Probably, probably not, just because Verlander's out there pitching far more innings. But you're absolutely right. He's got to be on the gas, man. There's, there's no way that dude. What, what's his ERA? Sub two. Yeah. One point eight zero. It's the best ERA. Insane. I looked it up. It's That's the best stupid. one he's ever had in his career. No, no man gets better at something as they approach no. 40. Ask my wife. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just and who's, isn't he married to what's her face? Yeah. The, 
model. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. model, yeah. He's yeah. winning yeah. all over the place. F- that guy. Good man. for good for him. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to give it to Dylan Cease then? Stupid fake cop pitching for the White Sox? No way. <laughs> I don't even know what Chuck picked. Phil, what are you going with? He, he, went, he went with Verlander. Verlander? Right out of yeah. the and I agree 100%. It's Verlander all the way. Is there an argument for Class A? I, I'm going to say no for the Cy Young, but absolutely for the MVP. If it wasn't for Aaron Judge, a closer doing what Class A is doing, how is that not the definition of your most valuable player through the season, right? What screws the relievers is they can get that Rolades reliever of the year award. They get that instead of one of these. So, <laughs> yeah, right, it's, it's got <laughs> to be Verlander. All right, how about moving over to the National League? Let's talk MVP. Guys in the running, Cardinals first baseman Paul Goldschmidt hitting 318, 35 home runs, 114 RBIs, worst name in the running. Uh, next one, Dodgers first baseman Freddie Freeman, 327, 20 home runs, 98 RBIs. Oh, by the way, the Dodgers have won 110 games so far. Uh, <laughs> lastly, another Cardinal third baseman Nolan Arenado. 292, 30 home runs, 102 RBIs, coolest name in the running. Phil, who should be the NL MVP? Wow, that's that's uh that's interesting. You wonder if the teammates take votes away from each other there. But I I I would lead toward Goldschmidt. I mean, that's like that's triple crown-esque right there. <laughs> He's not yeah. gonna win it in the NL, but that is triple crown numbers. Yeah, probably it's probably Goldschmidt, a, a guy who I don't know if he's ever being considered a superstar, but has always been a really solid player, and he spent a lot of his career in Arizona. So for him, for sure, that's a crazy stat line. I, I didn't know he was having that great of a season. I guess I would lean towards Freddie Freeman because in some ways having two guys on the same team in the running kind of makes both of them less valuable. You know, like if you're that team, you're relying on one of those other guys. Give it to Freeman because he's the best hitter right now on – the best team in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers. All right, NL Cy Young, Marlins starter Sandy Alcantara, 14-9, and 2.28 ERA, never heard of him. Diamondbacks starter Zach Gallen, 12-3, 2.46 ERA, never heard of him. Dodgers starter Julio Urias, 17-7, 2.12 ERA, never heard of him. And he wears glasses when he plays. Who's going to be the <laughs> NL Cy Young? Justin Verlander, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a horse of peace, man. Uh, I'm going to go with the second guy because you're right. I've never heard of any of them. Uh, Zach Gallon. How have we not heard of any? Like, what is, are we that, like, just yes. AL center? Yeah. Like, we don't even pay attention to the National League? I feel we're bad old, about this. we've got kids, we've got jobs. It's not like I mean, when we just, were 12. Just accidentally, though, right? Like, we should know who the best pitcher is in the <laughs> NL. I, not only have I not heard of the three people you just rattled off, I couldn't even tell you their names having just heard them. No. <laughs> I, I, still don't, I still don't know. I'm going to go with the guy with glasses. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I, I'm going with four-eyed Julio Urias as well. Again, he's the best pitcher for the best team in the National League. That should be... Your Cy Young is ERA is 2.12 as well. That's pretty fantastic. But fellas, that will do it for our second segment. We're going to take our last break, head off the field and talk about the best albums of the 1990s. No, we're not.
Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field and back to the 90s. Pitchfork.com is an online music publication originally named Pitchfork Media when it launched as a blog in 1995. Pitchfork earned a reputation for its extensive coverage of indie rock music before expanding to all genres. During the 1990s and the 2000s, the site reviews favorable or otherwise, were considered widely influential in making or breaking careers. Conveniently enough for the three of us, Pitchfork released its top 150 albums of the 90s last week. I would like to start with you guys on this list with who is not there, and let me know which of these you think is the biggest snub. No Springsteen on the list. Human Touch, Lucky Town, and Ghost of Tom Joad were all released in the 90s. Next one, no crisscross. Totally crossed out, <laughs> to bomb, and Young, Rich, and Dangerous, apparently not for long, also all released in the 90s. <laughs> no Pearl Jam on the list. 10 Verses and Vitology all released in the 90s. No Metallica on the list. The Black Album was released in 1991. Which of those is the biggest snub? Pearl Jam. Three albums. All excellent albums. And you can argue any of those three are the best Pearl Jam album. Vitology is a phenomenal album that people think uh, is underrated. Versus the great. That's crazy. Maybe Pitchfork is a little too cool for the room, man. How is <laughs> not one Pearl Jam album on there? That's insane to me. We're going to get to it. It's definitely Pearl Jam. I kind of feel like this was vindictive. Like they, like they had something against Pearl Jam. Like perhaps Eddie Vedder pissed off the Pitchfork people because 150 albums deep and not one of those yeah. three make it? Like, no, I'm sorry. As much as I'd love to say it's Springsteen, Human Touch, Lucky Town, and Ghost of Tom Joad are far from his best work. Uh, it's Pearl Jam. I can't believe a list of albums in the 90s doesn't include something from Pearl Jam. I mean, one of the biggest and most influential bands of that decade. I guess maybe the other explanation for it is that whoever wrote this list wasn't alive in the 90s. <laughs> and that's how they came up with it. But I gave you guys both some homework today. I asked you to listen to some 1990s albums. Chuck, we're going to start with you. You got to listen to Emperor Tomato Ketchup by Stereolab. Now, according to Pitchfork, this is Stereolab's fourth album, and it lives in a historical interzone, coming oh. off simultaneously like the past's vision of a glorious future that never quite came to pass, and an attempt at recreating an idyllic past they never experienced for themselves. <laughs> How would you describe Emperor Tomato Ketchup? Well, first off, I asked myself the question is there something other than tomato ketchup and in fact there is i had to google it there is like olive ketchup oh, that wow. was what i took that was the most important thing i took away from this is there's other chips other than tomato oh. so i listened to it in snapshot um and i was like these guys like socialists are they marxists are they french they stink <laughs> that's all i knew it was like it was it was electro and jazz and prog and rock and all this stuff just mixed together and none of it made sense to me uh, and i tried i went really deep into this album and i was i was i had it out of my phone i knew i knew i was right in saying these guys stink when, when my wife is like what are you listening to right now? I, I blame it i was like gerber's making me listen to this crap man <laughs> so stereo labs album 
was ranked 44th best oh. album of the 90s by Pitchfork, which put it a couple spots ahead of the score by the Fugees and seven spots ahead of Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Wow. Chuck, wow. do you think that was fairly ranked? No. <laughs> if you said it was the list of a thousand best albums from the 90s, <laughs> I would put this at oof, maybe 7,000 at this point. <laughs> There's got to be 7,000 better albums. Suddenly, you're not laughing so much that Crisscross wasn't included. No. All right. Phil, um, you had the pleasure of listening to American Water by Silver Juice. American Water was the sea change in the Silver Jews catalog, a moment when David Berman gave in to Melody and made a warm and inviting record. Phil, do you agree? He should have just given in. Like, he should have just given in. <laughs> just walk away, man. I do not agree. Well, I, I, I guess I don't disagree. It was melodic at times. The guy's just, like, reading nonsensical lyrics over bad music for 48 minutes. <laughs> All right, what was the best song for our oh, listeners to listen to on American Water by Silver Juice? The best song on this album, and it's not even close. This is number one by far is Night Society because it's instrumental. There's no lyrics. Best song, easily. So American Water was ranked 21 oh, by God. Pitchfork. Pitchfork, what? Which means it was ranked ahead of The Chronic, Illmatic by Nas no. and Emperor Tomato Ketchup. <laughs> well, that I can see, maybe. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Phil, do you think American Water was fairly ranked? No. This album, like, I listened to it twice. I can't even believe I got through it twice. This album gets worse as it goes on, and it doesn't start <laughs> off good at all. Like, if I, I pulled up the lyrics of these songs, because I'm like, am I hearing this right? Like, am I... Did he just say what I think? He just strings words together that don't make sense at all, at all. It's it's like if I, with zero musical talent, got together a bunch of guys that just happen to know how to play instruments, kind of okay, and said, you do your thing in the background, and I'm just going to read these words randomly, and we're going to put an album together. And <laughs> somewhere like in the next middle. Year's trip. Yeah, right. Somewhere in the middle, <laughs> somewhere in the middle we're going to do a, an instrumental song, which will easily be the best. It's so bad. All right, so hopefully this next one is a is a little bit closer call. Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, ranked 97. Jizza, one of the guys from Wu-Tang, Liquid Swords, 69. Does that seem like a fair ranking? Absolutely. They're both really... You think you think Jizza's album... And Excellent. Liquid Swords is a really, yeah, really good album, best. for sure. You think it's that much better than Midnight Marauders? Yeah, without getting too deep into the weeds, because I, I love both. I like that Tribe album better, but Jizz's was different. Maybe it was because it was a guy who you didn't expect to create maybe sonically the best solo Wu-Tang album from that first run. Yeah. Um, that's what it, I think, it, too. It was, yeah, yeah I, I think that's I think that's really fair. If you were telling me, like, low-end theory, it was, you know, like, yeah. ab above that, I would go, no. But but sixty nine seems okay. Midnight Marauders had really great songs, but it, it didn't do what Low End did, where it was kind of brought jazz to the forefront of hip hop for a little while. So I have no issues with with Liquid Swords being above it. Low End was nine, by the way. Phil, what do you think about uh, Midnight Marauders versus Liquid Swords? This hits really 
close to home for me. I have no problem with either of those rankings. I, I think it's correct. Uh, they're two of my most favorite albums of all time. And I've listened to those two albums probably more than any other hip hop album short of low end theory and maybe enter the 36 chambers, you know? So it's that liquid swords album was so good. It's one of the best Wu-Tang albums out there. It really is start to finish. It, it was a good album. I think they both should be ranked higher <laughs> together. Anyway, you can get them up. The, how, how silver Jews ended up 40 fucking <laughs> spots ahead of either one of those. I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I need, I need the author's name when we're done recording tonight, but no, I, that's a good ranking. I think um, part of it might be the, the influential part of it where, where Jizz's album was something, wow, like this is really good. This is something special. This is a, a solo project out of the Wu-Tang that is just as good, if not better than some of the Wu-Tang albums. Whereas Tribe's Midnight Marauders, their third album was really, really good, really good, but it was no low end theory. It, it just wasn't it, 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 good album. Again, I'm trying to get my personal bias out of this because one of my favorite albums of all time, but you know, it, 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 I get it. The ranking's fine. I asked if you to keep your personal bias out of this one and no. not about American water. <laughs> it's too, it's, it's, the wound is too fresh. Man. <laughs> All right. According to Pitchfork, Bjork has two albums in the top 25 albums made during the 90s. Have we been sleeping on Did Bjork you say for you've been 30 sleeping years? With Bjork? What? Good for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How did we not know about that in the 90s? You should have been texting us. No, sleeping on Bjork. I mean, if I was sleeping with anybody in the 90s, I would have been telling you. I would not have been texting you, though. All right. The number one. Yeah, no. We don't even need to talk about Bjork. You're sleeping with him. Um, the number one album made in the 90s, according to Pitchfork, is Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. Should we pay any more attention no. to this list chuck absolutely not that i don't know if i've even listened to that album no you know i had i had like a glimmer of hope when you said yeah. that low end theory was nine i'm like oh i want to know the top 10 like that's really good and then you ruined it <laughs> well you didn't ruin it they ruined it L low end theory was nine uh enter the 36 chambers was five uh miseducation right. of Lauryn yeah, hill was two. All right that all sounds like pretty good there's like a radiohead album in there too loveless by my, my bloody valentine and i listened to <laughs> yes. it tonight and it is <laughs> awful it is awful so throwing out pitchfork what's your uh your number one or what do you think is the best album of the 90s man I well, I'm going to bring my personal bias right back into this conversation because I don't know how <laughs> yes. how could I ever separate all these one. I mean, so many good albums, right? And especially at a time like we've discussed this too, you, you know, at a time in our lives where music was, I mean, not that it has not been influential our entire lives, but music was really kind of a part of that growth period and our friendship and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Man, my number one album of the 90s, I, I would give it to Low End Theory. I, and that's that is a personal bias by far because i love a tribe called quest it's a really good choice i'm not gonna remove personal bias either but maybe a little bit here because if i was personal bias i would say it's august and everything after <laughs> yeah yeah like i i love that's a yeah. flawless album it's good if i was thinking like what affected music maybe it's nirvana never mind where was that did that even yeah. make the list if no Ten. pearl jam ones did 10 10 oh okay yeah and and their follow-up but what is it um in utero in Their Euro. second album mm -hmm. made it too, but no Pearl Jam. No Pearl, Pearl Jam. Yeah, Jam for some yeah. reason. Yeah, something something happened. The the best album of the '90s for me, bias or not, is Illmatic 
it's, yeah. it's oh, wow. not so all right. it is the greatest hip-hop album of all time it really is. hands down yeah wow. it is flawless i guess taking my biases out of it and not not my favorite albums but i mean the biggest and most influential albums of the 90s i don't know how you don't pick one a and one b as the chronic and never mind you know what i mean those those two to me would seem to be the ones that define that decade as best you can those would be my choices but gosh i love going back to the 90s with you guys this was yeah, a man. lot of fun um pitchfork probably too cool for the room <laughs> way too cool for us at least i don't know there's there's check it out there's some nonsense on there all right let's move on from 90s music to current tv let's dive into a little house of the dragon we already kind of talked about episode six and then what we were hoping to see in episode seven when it comes out tonight. So rather than look ahead another week, let's look back at the first six episodes of the show. What was your favorite single moment so far? Mm, that's a really good question. You saw them. It, it might be favorite moments. Maybe it's just because it set the stage. So in the first episode where you're seeing multiple dragons and they're flying because I had to wait so long to see it in Game of Thrones that I was like, okay, I, I get what this is about. Maybe maybe it's that, uh, even though they've kind of got a, I still think there's not enough dragon at this point, knowing that there's going to be way more coming. So maybe it's just that, you know, like it's the fact that there's well, the fucking show is called House of the Dragon, you idiot. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's just seeing dragons. Jeez. Nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it it's obviously King Viserys's date with a twelve year old. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, it's my favorite moment, and there's been so many already, which is great in in six episodes. But my favorite moment, because of the way the episode was presented so differently than all the other episodes is when Damon drag dragged the torso of the king eater out of the cave. There, there was, there was not a word uttered for like 40 minutes of that hour episode. It was just that battle. And that's how it ended. And he pulls that out and he's just standing there. I'm like, wow, that is a badass scene. And I'm pretty sure no one has said anything for the, the last 40 minutes that I've been watching the show. All good choices. Phil's definitely better than Chuck's. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I'm going with the queen busting up the royal wedding by walking in in the middle yeah. of the speech wearing the green. In the end, this show is about a fight brewing between these two women. And that was like the first shot. That's when you knew oh, we're not friends anymore. Things aren't going to be cool. We're not going to get along. You know, as far as Game of Thrones always being about the game, that was a that was a fairly gamey moment, you know. She chose to wait until King was speaking, everybody was sitting. She knew she would have all the attention and, and she puts on the green so everybody knows what she's up to. That that was a pretty cool scene. Very, very well done scene. Right until the point where that guy got a hole punched in his face. That was pretty good. I am looking forward to I, I will watch it tomorrow. Um, I'm not going to try to watch it tonight. Looking forward to another episode of this and starting to wonder how many episodes are in the first season because there is a lot to get through. Uh, there's absolutely no reason this story can't be like five seasons long, which is a lot of fun. Lots of dragons, Chucky, lots of dragons everywhere Yay. coming up. <laughs> yes. All right. Let, let's wrap things up. Let's talk about the worst fantasy league ever. Gerber trade report. I have failed again <laughs> this week. I offered Tursic, Josh Allen, Zeke and Zach Ertz and my seventh round pick next year for Jalen hurts and cool water. Cooper. 
biggest obstacle to the trade was that Tursic didn't know the league was on the ESPN app until Friday. That's right. <laughs> He's like winning every game, too. Like, damn it. So uh, that one didn't get done. Who's your MF? MF? Who's your MVFP? <laughs> Maybe that should be it. <laughs> who's your most <laughs> valuable <laughs> fantasy player? Your MF? VFP <laughs> for this week. Uh, I'm going to go with Pat Mahomes. The only reason is because they're winning and it looks like they've scored a lot of points. My, my entire team was uh, inactive all day, even through the four o'clock games. No one had played yet. I'm like, what's going on? And th- I realized I had all, I think five or six of the nine starters played in the Sunday night and the Monday night game this week. So I'm thinking Pat Mahomes is probably my, my mofo for the week. Uh, I am going with Dalton Schultz, the tight end for the Cowboys, who was not injured and still scored zero points somehow in our fantasy league, where you it's basically impossible. fall forward yeah. and get 20 <laughs> points a game. I'm going with Dalton Schultz. So I started a guy named Gabe Davis, who sounds like a kicker, but he's not. He's a wide receiver. Unfortunately, he scores like a kicker. He only had like 3.2 points, but he seems like a really nice guy. So Gabe Davis, there you go. Fellas, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that LeBron James and Kevin Love bought a professional pickleball team together. Adorable. With that news (laughs) that LeBron may be closer to retirement and moving to the villages than we thought, I hope you guys have a great week and let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. (laughs) I hope they play on a team together. (laughs) That would be fantastic. That would be. (laughs) The guards will be getting in that wild card round. Chuck, I'm sorry. Uh, they're up how many? I, I, I'm spaced. I'm sorry. No, you stopped listening. Is what it was. No, I'm listening. This is what happens when I start saying numbers. <laughs> yes, I'm not good at math. Talky <laughs> talky. <laughs> I'm a wordsmith. All right, so the Mariners are up yeah. two right now. Yeah, uh, they've got four against the Tigers. Tampa yeah. Bay has three against the Red Sox. So who are we playing or who's going to get you, that? Well, wow. Uh, you want to start this over? <laughs> I, I hope the magic of editing will make me sound halfway intelligent. Um, so both teams are in already. It just yes. Both teams are in. Yeah. Whoever, whoever lowest, finishes yeah, right, right, right. in the lowest spot to... is who the Guardians will play. So the Cleveland Guardians are in the yeah. wild card I round understand of the that. Major League Baseball playoffs. The Mariners are up two on them, correct? Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I think the Mariners, the Rays, they're going to play the Rays. Tell me what you think was the Cavs' best move of the season. Good news. Or, <clears throat> so busy trying to make fun of Chuck. I get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> How are we doing on those time limits, Gers? Yeah. Not great. <laughs> About well, I'm sorry. I took a good three having to re Actually, I'll tell them. you what. We're, we're, <laughs> we're not um, 
we're not bad. It, it should have been 23 minutes the way I had it. Um, and we ended up right at about 24 oh, and like two oh, and a half oh. minutes of it was trying to explain the wild card yes. around the Chuck. Yeah. So yeah. No, not um, really my fault. Not bad. I think that Cav segment ended up being a lot shorter. Um, yeah. Second segment. We're going to take our last break. We're going to come off the field. We're going to take our last break, head off the field. The site reviews favorable or otherwise were considered widely influential, favorable or otherwise, favorite single moment so far. I'll give you a moment to think about it. Chuck, go. <laughs> so you guys saw that I added some times next to each of our sections in the outline. I yeah, I saw it. I yeah. laughed. I laughed. Those are those are <laughs> aspirational. Yeah, you know, it's good um, parameters. Yeah, I, I always love it when I say real quick, and then I ask a question, and Denko goes on for like four minutes. Yeah. Uh, either he what? knows, and he's doing this on purpose. <laughs> it's just one of my one of my shortcomings in life. <laughs> I don't know. I'm doing it. I just do it. <laughs> How are we doing on those time limits, Skurs? Yeah. Not great. <laughs> Cover a lot of ground. Like LeBron and Kevin Love playing pickleball at the Villages is like that episode of Seinfeld <laughs> where Kramer moves into Del Boca yeah. Vista and he's playing yeah. ping pong and just smoking everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there oh. were professional. You can buy a. How much do they pay for it? I, I don't know. Bucks, and that's what I'd like bucks? to know because I find it hard to yeah. believe that we can't afford a professional pickleball team. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that might be our our introduction into ownership, right? Like yeah. Professional <laughs> pickleball. Yeah. We've got we've got t shirts for all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Go win. <laughs> Beat LeBron. Well, tonight's episode put a huge dent into the volume three of next year's playlist. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a yeah. lot. That's going to be a yeah. lot. Please, I, no might, stereo I better lab start now. that now. <laughs> no stereo lab. Oh, you got to have, you can't, they can't just not have stereo lab on it. I don't, I don't. It's a, the list is nuts. Get it. Um, I don't understand. Yeah, someone got paid, so or someone knew something like that's just weird. I just think these guys think they're cool. Um, they're not, you know, uh, false, <laughs> yeah. like okay, like Bone Thugs, e yeah. e East 1999 Eternal 137, Jeff Buckley Grace 135. Wow, um, Prefab Sprout Jordan the Comeback 1990. That was 131. Uh um, you know what's weird about the Tom 90s? Petty Wallfla Wildflowers. Uh yeah. 129. Great album. It, the 90s are it's a weird decade. We've talked about the music a lot, obviously, but you, you almost like split it in half, right? Like 90 to 95, and then like think of our high school versus our college years and what what was popular mm -hmm. music and how it changed. You, you know, like that was. The, the latter nineties you're getting into like hip hop changed drastically. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, in, in a well, so did rock. So did rock. Yeah, it exactly. went from glam 
to grunge. Yeah, grunge, right? I can't yeah. believe Pearl Jam. And I don't love, I love Pearl Jam enough, but yeah, that's insane yeah. to me. They're not yeah. one of those albums. Especially with those list. three albums. Like you yeah. don't even have to be a Pearl yeah. Jam fan. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah. That's, that's gotta be. Yeah. <laughs> I think the nineties are, I think you can like separate it even more. I feel like probably like yeah. 90 through 92, maybe 93 is almost still the eighties. Yeah, you know, it's it. it's maybe only to 92, but like those like some of the stuff that's on here. Jesus, this was this well, this the, one came out in the 90s. Yeah, the huge change in hip hop happened in like 92, 93, because then you get chronic and Wu Tang yeah. and yeah, tribe, and then Ilmata came out in 94, I 94. think. Yeah. Um they also have yeah, a man. list of the 250 best songs of the 90s. Oh. What's one? from from the first album from the whatever the hell they were called i don't know but i just scrolled into it and 53 is uh frankie knuckles the whistle song oh <laughs> sounds like another term for masturbating yeah. frankie knuckles frankie knuckles <laughs> uh number one is is fantasy by mariah carey featuring odb which yeah. wow. like, okay i have no problem that with that that's a great yeah, song. That's, yeah but but it's only great if it's the one with ODB like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's However, fantastic. Bjork hyper ballad is two. <sighs> Bjork. Man, I can't believe you're banging that. Keep shit. going. What's three. <laughs> three is Aaliyah. Are you that somebody? Wow. Oh. That's from the Dr. Doolittle soundtrack. It's the third best song made in the nineties. Yeah. Pushing it. Great. Uh, four Liz fair fucking run. Yeah. Five Missy Elliott, Missy Elliott, the rain. Yeah, good song. Six is Smells Like Teen Spirit. Seven is the Aphex Twins Window Liquor. You got to get chip on that song. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, want that, I want that playing in your next like video of him like walking through the neighborhood. You got it. Um, no problem. Destiny's Child, Say My Name, is eight. Uh, Juicy by Biggie is nine. Bikini Kill Rebel Girl is ten. I think the Browns' only chance next week against the Chargers is if we have not one but both of our starting edge rushers yeah. back. Like that's it. Got to have them both because you have to have their, like their left tackles will. done. Well, it, it, we should definitely have Clowney. Yeah, and and, and really. I think Miles Garrett wanted to play this week, but yeah, the dude is like, your body is beat up, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you've been just in a car easy. accident, right? <laughs> um, so hopefully they get both of those guys back yeah. because that that could be a little bit of an equalizer, especially with their their offensive line is is decimated, and if if Herbert is banged up, get to him early and maybe yeah. uh, maybe it keeps yeah. you in the in the game, you know. Uh, but I'm I am worried, man. Like we have not faced a real quarterback yet, and we're about to face three of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, it's frustrating. It it just super frustrating. There's no doubt as this season goes on, no matter what happens, we're going to look back at the Jets and the Falcons games. Oh, for absolutely. Sure. Like, yeah. Yep. Like that's those are wins that you just play Blown boring ass football yep. and you win them, right? You play boring football and you win losing them. to the Steelers last year. That COVID game that we lost to the Raiders because yeah. Nick Mullins was yeah. starting, you know, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, all right, Chucky, go take care of that baby. Phil. Yeah. Yes, sir. Go yeah. stay up for three hours watching TV and drinking whiskey. 
I'm going to bed. I'm not going <laughs> to drink whiskey, but I am going to watch House of Dragons. I'm doing that. Me too. Right. Well, I will watch it. All right, guys. Lunch. So you're no spoilers, Wednesday. please. You're thinking Wednesday at nine thirty? Is nine thirty? Wednesday night, nine thirty. Yeah, and I'll um open it up to the other guys too because it's going to kind of be a fun episode. Um, okay. see if anybody else wants to join us, but quick and easy just talk nothing but the wild card series and go from there sounds good man all right fellas all right boys have a great night wonderful job all right see you love you guys love you what do you mean i'm funny funny like the clown you didn't use you